In the previous episodes of The Mixes In, you may have heard me mention a belligerent friend of mine with very bad taste in music. Well, that buddy of mine is named Mario, and we have him with us today. And we're changing the format a little bit, where instead of focusing on a specific band, we decided to pick a topic. And the topic that we picked, courtesy of Mario, in fact, was top album tracks, meaning songs that came out on an album but were never released as a single. So today on The Mixes In, we're going to be talking about deep cuts. Well, welcome back to The Mixes In. I know it's been a while, a few months, all during the uh, pandemic here, so the months don't actually count because time doesn't exist anymore. It's all just day after day inside our houses. But one of the things that we've been doing here at The Mixes In is that I've been listening to music nonstop. We've been watching live streams and following our bands and their Patreons and Kickstarters and however everybody's getting it through. So we decided to pick back up, and today we've got a guest. We've got Mario. Why don't you tell the folks hello, Mario? Hello, hello, hello. So Mario and I have known each other for a while. We used to work together at a company that shall remain nameless. Yep, yep. We used to work on Saturdays, and then we discovered a mutual interest in music that was almost the same, but not quite. Meaning we liked a lot of the same bands, but never the same songs. We liked a lot of the same genres, but never the same bands. I... He's got bad opinions. He doesn't like putting things in context. And if you've listened to the show before, you notice that I, I like to talk about the history and I'm interested in that sort of things. But Mario, you're not. I can say that everything you said is completely untrue. And uh, I think I've been mischaracterized. Oh, we did work together on Saturdays. That oh, everything music related is untrue. I can say that. But uh, no, this will this will be interesting because I don't think this is will be a good episode because i don't think we'll have any conflicts unless by some chance <laughs> unless by some chance we both have the same album which would be interesting but i think this should be good this should be good i'm this is like so uh, you say we're not going to have any con conflict like we didn't argue for the five minutes before we step pressed record about nonsense but but that's all right. We got it out of our system. Now we're we're mature adults at this point. It's going to be fine. Well, there you have it, listener. We're not going to argue about anything in the next three seconds. So you picked this topic. You came to me and you said you're interested in being on the podcast and you had this topic. So tell me what this this is to you, what the topic is. That's a good question. I just think it's it's interesting, especially from my perspective. Typically, I don't know if typically is the right word, but a lot of people tend to favor the singles and they, you know, whether it's because they were made singles because they were the best songs or 
best songs on the album or, or for whatever reason. And those are probably the ones people most remember when they think about a certain album, especially with this first, the first one I'm going to mention, it was definitely a situation where I kind of realized or made me think about those other tracks, those non-single tracks, and some of those being just as good or in a lot of cases better than the singles. So I, I thought this would be interesting. Yeah, and I agree. It's always fun to talk about the deep cuts, the album tracks, the ones that they didn't think were good enough to to play on the top of the pops and all that. But I do think it's a broad topic. So what I did is I put some restrictions on myself when picking these, because otherwise it was just going to be five Boston songs. Realistically, the Boston's first album, they didn't have any singles on it. So that would have been fair game. So really... I thought the first that, the first half of the Boston first first Boston's album would be my top five. I thought that was one of the restrictions we said though was that not more than the same artist. I thought that was one oh. of the things we did talk about. My you, you never mentioned that to me. Okay, yeah, it doesn't my, matter. I didn't pick right, any from yeah. the same artist. No, neither did I. Yeah. yeah so yeah. what I did is I, I limited myself to what I would say is probably the golden age of albums, which is basically sixty five to around ninety five. So sort of before the internet music era, I would say that is kind of the golden age. And then I, I limited myself I even more. I was doing that in, in the golden age. I was still downloading just one song or songs, but go ahead, continue. Well, right. But we have a different idea of how albums should even work. So I'm going with my definition. Okay. The continue. And I also limited myself to albums that had gone platinum. Oh. Well, so no, I did this because I listened to a lot of underground music, a lot of punk rock, a lot of ska, things that, like I just mentioned, the Boston's album, one of my all-time favorite albums, d- didn't have any singles because it wasn't a thing that they did. So I wanted to talk about songs that were kind of bigger songs, songs that people would know rather than necessarily, or at least bands people would know rather than talking about Skinny Lister again. Those were the two restrictions I put on myself, which turned out to be incredibly easy anyway. There were still a bazillion songs I could have picked. But I guess you had no such restrictions. No, no. In fact, I think you're doing, I don't know if disservice is the right word, but I'd have to think about it. But I, I don't think out of the five, maybe two of them, maybe three meet that criteria. Just because, not to get political, but it's like voting. Like if you only stick to the most popular stuff, then that eliminates some voices pun intended, that should be heard. Oh, for sure. What I was interested in is talking about songs that were on big albums that aren't the songs that people think of when they think of those albums. Whereas I'm here to enlighten your your listeners with good music, regardless of how the album sold. Knowing what I know of your tastes, I think that's probably unlikely, but we'll find out. And I'm sure most of my listeners will agree with you because everybody is broken in the same way. And it makes me sad. I know you've heard of all the bands and you've probably heard of at least four of the albums. I may have to I, do- I am sure you know all the albums and probably know all the songs. Yeah. You have this thing where you don't really listen to music before what, like nineteen eighty ish, nineteen eighty five? Yesterday. What's your your rough cutoff? You I know you didn't do you ever did a lot of seventies stuff. I don't know how you are on sixties. Like I said, I didn't have any kind of restriction but no, I mean, you'll you'll be surprised. There is an older album that you probably didn't see coming, 
and that'll be a surprise. That's not number one, but it'll come come later on. Well, I, I think what this is going to end up with is a very interesting mix when we release the album that'll be up on Spotify for Absolutely. people to listen to. Absolutely. And I was thinking of that, like, not intentionally, but yeah, my last two in particular came about because other ones I wanted, surprisingly, were actually released as singles. And so then by the time I got all of them, I was like, oh, yeah, my list combined with your list is going to be a very, very interesting playlist. A good playlist, but interesting. Yeah. That was kind of what I found out with mine is a lot of the ones I picked, I was surprised weren't singles. And that's what I thought was sort of interesting. I'll give you an example. So I have I had a couple honorable mentions. I was thinking of putting one on my list and it just didn't quite make the cut, which was Cemetery Gates by the Smiths. So this was off the Queen is Dead album. It's probably my personal, I'd say my second favorite song on the album. I just love it. I like the the allusions to wandering around graveyards. I like the idea of teenage Morrissey and ruffles and flares lying and being just oh so depressed on top of gravestones and singing about oscar wilde so it's a, it's a fun song it was never released as a single what else wasn't released as a single on that album was the queen is dead which is my favorite song on the album except it was in 2017 why so late it was part of a like a reissue of all the albums like they did the remasters and everything and they released it as a single so up until then, so like in the era that this album was big, and even when I got into the Smiths, it wasn't a single, so it would have counted. And then when I was reading more about it three years ago, got knocked off the list. Your plot was foiled. Well, but that's it's kind of interesting how that happened. So like Stairway to Heaven wasn't a single. Still isn't. Right. Until there was a couple of like promo releases in America that could functionally be considered singles. So I knocked that off the list. Were there CDs made? Like, could you buy a CD single of it? I I couldn't tell. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I had some situations like that, yeah. So, like, most of these, uh, a lot of the information I did was between Wikipedia, different websites related to the bands, but it's it's a little... Wikipedia is actually fairly good in terms of releases. Yeah, especially Um, for things in, in the range you're looking for, or, yeah, probably even newer. And there's a lot of information on some of the older albums and that, but it was, it's interesting in what was almost like almost counted. Like there was a live version of Gimme Shelter released as a single, but Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones wasn't in fact a single. So did the live version count? Really? I said, yeah, and left it off me. Yep. That's interesting. Cause. Same um, with Wish You Were Here, in fact, from Pink Floyd. But hang on, hang on. So yeah, about the Rolling Stones though, that's on a greatest hits. That's yep. pretty interesting if it's not a single, but yet they put it on a, no, it wasn't called greatest hits, but it was like functionally equivalent to, hey, here's oh, our yeah. popular songs. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of the ones on my list did that. I'll tell you what, why don't we get into it? Why don't okay. we start talking okay. about the, the list? Do you want to go first or should I? Uh, you go first. Go ahead. You have a good lead in. All right. Well, the first one I picked is from 1970. And it's Tangerine by Led Zeppelin. Tangerine is, it was a non-single. It's an album track from Led Zeppelin 3. It's on the second side, the more sort of acoustic-y side. Do you know it? I do, I, not super well, but I do know the song. I mean, I assume you've heard Led Zeppelin 3 at some point in your life. Uh, I know, no, probably not. I know that song. The first album, second album, and fourth album, I probably know. Mm. <laughs> Naturally. And and 
Yeah, well, that's only by accident, and it has nothing to do with their music, really. Uh, just when I was learning guitar, I kind of went through a, a Led Zeppelin phase, and then I fell out of it kind of quickly. Yeah, first, second, and th like I said, I started when I was into guitars, started listening to them because they're, you know, quote unquote classic. But yeah, I don't have. I don't. I don't think you need the quotes with with Led Zeppelin. They're definitively classic. Sure. Sure. Yeah, so I have one, two, th four, and physical graffiti. Although, although I would consider getting three on vinyl of all things, but not for any listening reasons. What reasons? Because they're th number three had a disc on it, and you could like spin the disc to change the picture. It's kind of cool. Oh, cool. So it, interesting. One of the things that has been a theme throughout our relationship is that your tastes are much closer to my brother's than mine. And Led Zeppelin three is also his easily least favorite of Zeppelin's albums. Uh, for me, it's one of my favorites because I like the acoustic -y stuff. And that that's why I picked Tangerine in part. I, well, I think it's a terrific song. It's one of only two Led Zeppelin songs that's credited solely to Jimmy Page. It's that and Dazed and Confused, which is kind of interesting because there's actually some controversy about who actually wrote it. There's disagreement among the Yardbirds folks that singer Keith Relf actually co-wrote it because the song was originally, or at least an early version of it, was an unreleased Yardbirds track called Knowing That I'm Losing You, which was eventually released on the Yardbirds 68 album that came out a few years ago. But it was, it was recorded in East Hampshire at Headley Grange, and engineered by Andy Johns at Olympic Studios in London. But it was worked up when Paige and Robert Plant went on that little retreat into Braunier. I don't know how to say Braunier. It's Welsh, so it never makes sense in my head, uh, where they got Braunier stomp in most of this album. So it was that kind of, like all the music and all the, the final version of that came out of that. And I've always liked all of the songs from that, but this one in particular. It's got like John Paul Jones plays the mandolin on it. Jimmy Page has a couple of different guitar parts. So he's playing it on a six string and then a 12 string and which are mixed together. This, they almost sound the same thing, which kind of gives it that unique guitar sound. It's got that interesting where it starts with a little bit of guitar. And then there's the pause and you hear that count. And then it starts kind of the, the whole song. I like that, that Jimmy Page plays pedal steel on it. Like all the little fills are pedal steel as well as his Gibson Les Paul. So like, there's a lot that went into the making of this song. It's just a neat ballad about love and loss. Uh, the reason I like it, in fact, the reason I was sort of introduced to it and it always stuck in my brain is that it's the song that plays over the end of Almost Famous. Oh boy. So when, at the very end, when, when William and Russell are kind of making up and William finally pins him down for that interview. And he says, so Russell, what do you love about music? It's what starts playing there. So when Russell Hammond says to begin with everything, which is a, obviously is a giant music nerd and a fan of that film that, that gets me in the feels every time. So I associate this song with this great moment in this great film. And so on top of even just being a terrific song, it's got that association and it's got all that kind of interesting you know, music paraphernalia built up to it. And, you know, I love Snowdonia in Wales, so anything that comes out of there is pretty neat, too. So, yeah, so that's my first song, Tangerine by Led Zeppelin. All right. All right. Not exactly obscure. Yeah, I'm looking over the track listing just in general, and, like, Immigrant Song is a great song. 
but that was a single. Since I've Been Loving You is on that album. I like that song a lot. Yeah, I do too. I think that was also a single. There's there's actually there's a bunch of good songs. I like Bron Your Stomp is on that one. I don't have it up. I like the whole album. I like that more than two, not as much as four, and probably about as much as one. All right. All right. So what uh, do you got? So my first song is called Wanted by the Cranberries. And it was a hard choice, but an easy choice. This was definitely one of those albums where I got it. I have a physical copy of it. But it came out in 94. I didn't get it till 97 or 98 even. I think it was 97. So long after, they had, I think, two albums in between before I got it. I got it really because of Linger, because that's a great song. But surprisingly, I like a few of the songs on there that weren't singles. Wanted is probably my favorite of it of the ones, but there's also Waltzing Back and Pretty, which I enjoy very much as well. But yeah, Wanted, it's it's just a good song. I've I've seen a few live versions of it, some acoustic versions, just a really good song. And really the whole album, like I said, is a lot better than I was expecting or a lot better than I thought it would be. So I definitely recommend the album, but certainly that song as well. Interestingly enough, though, No Need to Argue works out, too, because it was a similar kind of situation where, you know, I liked it because of Zombie, but that has a song on it called I Can't Be With You, which thematically almost fits with Wanted. I don't have as many on that album that I like, but it was a similar kind of situation. I don't own that album. I don't think I do. But certainly when I listened to it, it was better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I still Yeah, like- I never I never got any of their more albums, but I absolutely adored everybody else's doing it. So why can't we when it came out? I still like it, frankly. I still think it's a terrific album. I would pick Dreams and Linger ahead of Wanted, probably Sunday, too. I think Sunday wasn't a single, though, was it? No, just Dreams and think- Linger. Yeah. yeah. Dreams, and I, I think I've said this before, I think it's one of their weakest songs absolutely like she has a nice voice and but it it just the phrase i'm going to use is it doesn't rock quote unquote but that's not really the right term because i don't know it just doesn't have oomph like any other song probably in their whole catalog but certainly from their newer albums or their their older albums rather you could randomly pick a song and it sounds, I just think it sounds better, like lyrically, sound-wise. Sunday, I can't quite picture at the moment. I'm going to say it's better than Dream. I don't say this as Dreams is a horrible song or whatever, just in the context of Cranberry's songs, I just don't think that's one of their strongest. Lingers is all right, and I think it's better, but on this album, at the very least, I think there's a lot of other songs as good as those two singles. I'm going to say I like the album as a whole. Like I said, I never went down a cranberries rabbit hole. I always liked zombie well enough, but I had it on a uh, MTV buzz bin collection. So I never actually picked up the album, but yeah, no, I'm a big fan of the singles on that one more than anything else. I I've always loved dreams. I've got some nice associations with that. There's a Asian version of that, that I've always loved as a cover. So that adds to my, my interest in that song. But Wanted is a good song. I, I have no bones about that. I guess pour one out for Dolores O'Riordan, who passed away a couple of years ago, which is still pretty sad. 
Interesting thing about that album is it was produced by Stephen Street, who was the engineer on the song I was talking about before on Cemetery Gates. He was the engineer for the Queen is Dead album, and then he produced the Smiths' fourth album. Yeah, I didn't know anything about him, but I just noticed in in doing some research that I think he produced all of their albums, I want to say. Yeah, he worked with the Cranberries pretty extensively. Uh, He worked with Morrissey, too, Blur, I think. He was a, he was a pretty big deal producer in in England for a while, and I'd say he had a winner with with them for sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so that's that's a good one. All right, what do you got next? What's on your hit so for second up for me is Spanish Bombs by the Clash. Spanish Bombs is the sixth track on London Calling, which I'd say is probably the Clash's definitive album. Although I'm a pretty big Clash fan, so I think they're all definitive albums. It came out in 1979 in England and 1980 in America because it was released in December and then January. So it's technically an 80s song for America, but not for England, which is something I always thought was kind of fun. Uh, It's written and sung by Joe Strummer, although the backing vocals are Mick Jones. It shows up in the album right between Rudy Can't Fail and The Right Profile, which is as a, a three song block. Pretty good, I'd say. It's Strummer's, it's a song he got an idea about when he was listening to a radio report about a bombing in Costa Brava by Basque separatists on his way home during the London Calling sessions from, from Wessex Studios. And the song itself is kind of about, it's comparing visiting Spain now for a you know British person versus what Spain was like during the Civil War. And you can hear that in like lines like, can I hear the echo from the days of 39? It's just it's a just a great song. It's it's one of my favorites on the album. Uh, I love Spanish history. You know, I've read a number of books on the Spanish Civil War. It's an interesting time, dark period, but it's an interesting time. I always liked the Spanish bits in it, even though they're borderline nonsense. I'm going to read you something from the the Wikipedia about this song that I actually thought was kind of interesting. According to the liner notes accompanying the 1979 UK release of London Calling, the song includes the lyrics, and here's some Spanish, so I'm not going to get it right. Yo te quiero y finito, yo te cuerda o mi corazón. According to the AV Club, the lyric is in fact, yo te quiero infinito, yo te quiero o mi corazón, which they translate as, I want you forever, I want you, o my heart. However, the comment the strummer makes in the liner notes on the anniversary edition is that it means I love you and goodbye, but I want you, oh, my aching heart. So it's not real Spanish. It's just kind of Spanish. He wasn't particularly fluent, but he was dating Palmolive at the time, who was from Andalusia, so you get the reference to that in it. So the Spanish bits of that are a little little fuzzy, but they're still kind of charming, I guess. It references Frederico Lorca, who's a great poet and playwright that was killed by nationalists in the Civil War. So it's it's one of those songs that like that whole album is pretty near dear to my heart. But that song was a lot of what got me interested in the Spanish Civil War. So I probably wouldn't have read, you know, as many books on it without this particular song. Other stuff like uh, there's an artist, an Australian folk artist named Perry Keys, who's got a song that's called Joe Strummer. And it's about Joe. And it references this song with the line. I want to know how to say Andalusia. I want to see my Corazon. And I like songs that reference Joe Strubber and are about sort of these rock and roll heroes. And that song I found one day on iTunes and it led me down a whole rabbit hole of Australian folk 
and Perry Keys in particular. And even just like last week, there was a benefit called Songs for Joe. It was arranged by Jesse Mallon and raising money for the Strummer Foundation. And Heinz played a kind of a fun, bouncy acoustic version of it. So even though it's a song from 79, it's still got this sort of vital feel to it for me and for a lot of people who are Clash and Strummer fans. And it's just it's just a good punk rock tune that's really kind of a definitive song for understanding the Joe Strummer experience in terms of who he was and how he saw the world. I assume you know that one, right? Spanish Bombs? Yeah, uh, no. No. What I'm surprised though, uh, I was going to say I'm surprised you didn't choose Rudy Can't Fail or Death or Glory. I I would have uh, thought I'm pretty sure they were both singles at one point or another. Interesting. On Wikipedia, I'm just showing London Calling, Clamp Down, and Train in Vain, which would be my favorites from the album, or at least the ones I know the best. Yeah, at the time, uh, probably the one I would be most likely to pick that wasn't ever a single was Brixton Riot, or uh, Guns of Brixton, rather, except that was released by a single as a single by Dropkick Murphys, so I discounted it. And Death or Glory has been released repeatedly as a single by other artists, if not The Clash on one of their, I think it came out on one of their re-releases and like when The Essential Clash came out or something like that. There, there was a reason at it, but also like there have been single releases of that songs as, as a cover. Gotcha. Okay. Which, you know, we didn't really have hard and fast rules, but I was trying to stick to my own made up rules sure. about it. Sure. Train in Vain what else? Is, another one I, is another one I could have seen you pick. I'm almost positive that was a single too. Okay, interesting. Because some some of them were singles in England that weren't singles here, and vice versa. Oh, uh, okay, okay. I, like I, I'd have to double check, but Spanish okay. Bombs has always been one of my favorites too. Okay. And I think it's just an interesting song. It's not like definitively this. Like if you hear this, you understand who the Clash are. But I think it's for in the Clash catalog, it's one of the songs that most definitively shows what Joe Strummer's, the rest of his career was going to be about. It feels the closest of all the Clash tunes to me to the Joe Strummer's and uh, the Mescalero's era and things like that. So that was part of why I picked it. Cool. I mean, my favorite song on the album is Rudy Can't Fail, then probably Guns of Brixton, then Spanish Bombs, and then the Card Cheat. So there's a lot. It's it's one of my all-time favorite albums, so it's pretty easy to talk about any of it. So yeah, so that's that's number two for me. What do you got? So ready? I'm going to say the name of the song, and you tell me who it is. Ready? The song is called Close to the Borderline. Go. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, that's, that's what I was kind of... I know Over the Border by Joe Strummer and Jimmy Cliff. Oh, it's just like that, just not at all. <laughs> Um, it's actually from a Billy Joe album called Glass Houses. Came oh. out in, in way back in the nineteen in nineteen eighty, and it's kind of a, the same, similar vein to the Cranberries, where it's not something I would have thought about, but there's a lot of or an album I wouldn't have thought I would like, but it actually has a, had a bunch of singles, and then a bunch of other good songs. So there were a few I was going to choose. But Close to the Borderline is basically a song about just being frustrated with politics, with the world around you, uh, with life in general. And, you know, like part of the chorus is, I'm still a nice guy, but I'm getting closer to the borderline. Uh, And I just like the song. And for anyone who thinks of 
Billy Joel as the piano man. This was probably one of his most rock albums, lots of guitar playing and stuff like that. So everyone should check it out. But that that particular isn't, song is really good. Yeah. Isn't it still rock and roll to me on that album? Right. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. That was his, I mean, it even says rock and roll right in the name. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that song like hit Billboard and was his first single or, or uh, something to peak on the singles chart, something like that. Uh, and, and it deserves it. It's it's a good song. It's a it's a fun album. There is some piano on a few of them, but by and large, it's a rock album or as, as rock as you're going to get if you're a Billy Joel fan, I guess. Good song. Good song. Good Billy, album. Billy Joel was once described to me as rock and roll for people who love show tunes. And I've never really gotten past that description. I, I like Billy Joel. Don't get me wrong. But that's to me was always a really good description of his music. So I'm going to say yes, but not all. Like, I could see where that's coming from. That's kind of like the River of Dreams kind of songs. And there's some oh, like... I like that song. I, I owned the single for the River of Dreams. CD single for that. It's a fine song. It, it's fine, but it's just different. For those who, who want to hear more rock, so like this album, he also has a song called Big Shot which is aggressive, but aggressive in the term of Billy Joel. But yeah. I, which I just, is just not that aggressive, really. Well, when I say rock, that encompasses so much. And so, you know, some people would say Nickelback mm-hmm. or Bon Jovi or Kansas. I mean, rock means a lot of things to a lot of different people. It depends on your age and what you listen to and things like that. I, I have to say I'm pretty fascinated that the three you pulled out of your head were Bon Jovi, Nickelback, and Kansas. But that's the point, right? <laughs> so it, it's it's the FYE theory. If you ever go to FYE, they have very limited genres. They break their – or used to. I haven't been there in a while, but very limited. Do they even still exist? I believe so. I believe so. In the Well, I'm going to say yes, but I could be wrong because, again, I haven't a long, long time. But – they had very literally i can i can still picture it and it still annoys me the the categories they had were like rap country and then they had rock and pop in one and then soundtracks i think that's it so yeah like i remember bela fleck wait that annoyed you i thought you hated genre i thought you wanted a a uh, record store where there was everything was just in alphabetical order right i hate genres for a lot of reasons but what this encapsulates the reason why it's annoying is because you get things like Bela Fleck and the Fleck tones in the same genre, quote unquote, genre group as Nickelback. Right. And those I'm going to say, and you can, you can contradict me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to say those are two very different bands. Would you agree with that? As much as I love to contradict you, I would not disagree there. Right. So long story short, genres, are weird and annoying for numerous reasons. Maybe that'll be a future episode. We can talk about genres. (laughs) But back to the point, Billy Joel, Glass Houses, great album. Check it out if you want to hear interesting songs that don't have pianos. That's that's the tagline. There you go. Now, I seem to remember you telling me Glass Houses was the only one of his albums you ever owned. Was Was it something your parents listened to? So... Uh, is it the only one I own? I may own Stormfront, 
but it was probably one of the first albums I heard as a youth. Like my mom owns it, owns a vinyl copy of it. I'm going to say it this way. Yeah, one of the first band or groups albums that I've heard that was not from my time that came before me. And that was probably the first played by my mom in the house at some point. I'm pretty sure you were alive when that came out. Didn't it come out in 1980? Barely. Yeah, it came out in 1980. Right. So I I was alive, but not any kind of able to listen to music on my own kind of alive. So... Well, it's interesting because you always get a lot of music from what your parents listen to. It, it tends to, to lay the groundwork for what you get into. And there's always one or two artists I think everybody has that are a little bit left field for them that they like because of their parents. Like for me, I'm a big Neil Diamond fan, which wouldn't necessarily jibe with all the punk rock and ska and all that stuff that I talk about and listen to. But there it is because my dad listened to him. Right. Yeah, that's that's probably a good way to describe it. Yeah. I mean, that's not completely true because I do, it may have started it, but like I mentioned, Stormfront, I do enjoy very much, but that was more at that point, that was me getting into music and Stormfront's the one that has, we didn't didn't start start the fire, fire, right? right. So that was on MTV, was on the radio. So it kind of seeped in that way and it ended up, there's a few good songs on there as well. So it's interesting. I never owned a Billy Joel album. I had the essential Billy Joel. So I had a functionally a greatest hits. And I right. had this the CD single for River of the Dreams, uh, which came out while I was in high school. So I, I like Billy Joel and I like all those songs. But the only songs I know are singles or things that ended up on greatest hits. Yeah, probably outside of those two albums, Stormfront and Glass Houses, I'd probably be the same way. I do want to get all the singles because they're like they're good songs. It's yeah. just not something for whatever reason I wouldn't go down. I, I don't know. I'd be open. Like if someone else had the album and we were on a long car ride, I might be interested in hearing other stuff, but on my own, it's not something I would go seek out. Yeah. Same. I always loved the singles, but I, yeah, I just never went for the albums and which is, it's something I always think if I like an artist enough, I want to hear the albums because I want to hear these deep cuts. And as much as I like those songs, he wasn't, somebody that clicked enough with me that I wanted to go seek those out. Exactly. I would throw James Taylor into that same mix. Like I know his singles and I love them and I'm sure he does have other deep cuts that are good, but I didn't care. I've never cared enough to go seek them out. I can definitively say the same thing with James Taylor, at least the not liking him enough to seek them out. I'm never a huge fan. All right. Well, that's interesting. Uh, Yeah. So, so Billy Joel. What, right. Was I right? This this was not something you were going to expect me to say. No, I wouldn't have guessed you were going to bring Billy Joel, but I know how much you like that album. So it doesn't shock me. Right. All right. What do you got? What's up for number three on your list? All right. So number three for me is Wildflowers by Tom Petty from the album Wildflowers. It's the lead track on the album. Came out in 1994. It's technically Tom Petty's second solo album even though the Heartbreakers play on it, except for Stan Lynch, the drummer, uh, Steve Ferrone, who would replace Stan Lynch in the Heartbreakers, plays on it. I think it was like the next year that he replaced him. So it's a simple little acoustic song. It's very delicate and pretty for me. I think it's sets the tone for that album, but it also sets, to me, a time and place 
when I was listening to that. You Don't Know How It Feels was a single. That'd be the big song for me off the album, but Wildflowers was right there. You know, I, I have a deep love of folk music, and for Tom Petty, it's one of the closest points between, you know, his kind of L.A., Florida hybrid rock and roll where he gets into that folk feel that a lot of his songs just are on the cusp of. This one goes right over into it. It charted, which is interesting because it was not a single from the album, but it was popular enough and it was the lead track on a popular album that it ended up getting airplay just from that, which is unusual. It's not unheard of, but it's not a normal thing. It also ends up on, it's not in his greatest hits because this came out after that, but it's on all of his collections and all his live albums that came out in recent years because it's became, despite not being a single, a very well-known song. I actually saw him play it in 2017 in his final show in Philadelphia, and it almost brought me to tears. And then he played Learning to Fly right after it, where if you ever see how he played that live or you listen to live versions of it, it's incredible. And to have those back-to-back in that final concert, it just I get a little choked up even thinking about it. And I've heard a lot of covers of it. Uh, Jesse Mallon, who's one of my favorites, has it on his Hail Mary Gunners album. I've heard Trapper Shope play it live. I think I've heard Jesse Mallon play it live, but I couldn't find a track list for the concert I thought he played it at, so I'm not a thousand percent sure. I also, I, I found a pretty neat quote uh, from performing songwriter interview about it. This is from Tom Petty, which is, I just took a deep breath and it came out, the whole song. Stream of consciousness, words, music, chords, finished it. I mean, I just played it into a tape recorder and I played the whole song and I never played it again. I actually only spent three and a half minutes on that whole song. So I'd come back for days playing that tape thinking there must be something wrong here because it just came too easy. And then I realized there's probably nothing wrong at all. And for me, that's just such a, it's a beautiful quote and it really, it's how that song feels to me. It's just a simple little song but it's powerful and beautiful and it's it's like seeing a field full of wildflowers it's it's it captures that moment so oh yeah, wildflowers by tom petty i have the physical album uh, probably just the singles you don't know how it feels you wreck me and it's good to be king is is all that stands out i, I keep meaning it's it definitely i know you've heard it it's the first song on the album when we say albums we mean cd's and I don't know about your CD players, but there's often the skip button. And I don't know, my skip button, typically I can press it and like, it skips tracks. It's pretty magical. You should try it sometime. You hit it, it goes right over a a track. It's great. It's fantastic. And then with CDs, you can set it so it repeats just one track at a time. Craziness. Technology, man. Technology. See, this is why I stuck to the golden age of albums for our my deep cuts because of what you're talking about where you're not listening to the whole album so it's it's yeah but but that cuts both ways i think because if you have better access to the songs whether it's by youtube or whatever that may give you a chance to explore and find things out a friend of mine used to complain about the band everclear because she felt that all of their singles sounded the same, even though the tracks on the albums didn't. And I definitely agree with that for them. I think people who 
just listen to the singles for Everclear have one particular idea about what kind of music they make. And there's a lot that you're missing from what's on the albums. Well, that's exactly why I've always been somebody who buys an album rather than greatest hits for, for the most part, obviously there's exceptions. I just talked about Billy Joel because of those, because if you usually what I think is if I like one or two songs, the odds are I'll like three or four on the album. It's not always true. A lot of times the single that gets released is definitively the best song and everything else kind of feels like filler, but not always. And it's why I like the art of an album. I like the idea of how, you know, it's interesting to me how much time they spend sequencing and, you know, putting together and trying to get things that feel right for the album. Like if you ever, well, we'll talk about him in a minute, actually. So I'll leave that off. Okay. But yeah. So wildflowers, I am surprised you don't like that one. It seems like one you would have enjoyed at least trying to work up on guitar because it's just such a nice little acoustic song. I'd have to think about it more, but I think just at the time it w- it came out, or at least the time I acquired it, I wasn't into that kind of music at the time and probably didn't necessarily give it a lot of attention. So that's why, like, it is on my, the album as a whole is on my list to go give it a, a re-listen. But at, at this time, you know, you don't know how it feels and you wreck me are, are good enough for now. You know, there was a fourth single in that, which was a higher place. It just didn't go anywhere. And I don't think anybody actually listened to it too much. Yeah, I, I see that. I didn't even I didn't rec- even recognize the name. See, I, I like the album top to bottom. But again, I, I'm a pretty big Tom Petty fan. But I, I think if you asked a lot of people, Wildflowers would probably make their Petty top 10 people who were would people make- who were fans, but maybe not psychotic fans. Would it make your top 10 list? Um, Probably, yeah, I'd say. Top Lower five. half, but definitely. No, okay. not top five. Okay. But it, it's a song I love. But, I, you know, again, I have all of Tom Petty's albums. And I love. he has a lot of albums. There's a lot to choose from. Yeah. And even though this is technically only one of two Tom Petty albums, because right. it's not oh, well, technically right. a Heartbreakers album. Right. But. yeah, yeah. But it's it's still, despite not being a single, it's a well-known song. And that's what I find kind of interesting about it, especially the fact that it charted despite not being released. And I my guess is if it was the last song on that album, it wouldn't be like that. But because it was the lead track, people listen to it more. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that's probably true. And So and, just an interesting thing, but a pretty song. I was going to say, and probably helping not only lead track, but it's also the name of the album as yep, well. Yeah, for sure. All right, so yeah, so that's my Tom Petty tune. So when, what do you got for What's your third song? Number So number three is a song called Let Me In by R.E.M. It's from their album Monster, which is one of the few R.E.M. albums I have. But again, continuing the theme, this album I can definitely say I enjoy top to bottom. I saw them uh, during the tour for this album. It's a great album in general, and there's all the singles that came out were really good from it. There's a it's their most controversial album. Yeah, people say that, and I think it comes from expectations. I think, I think it's controversial in the same way. If you're expecting a piano song, and Billy Joel puts out Glass Houses, it may rub you a little different because it's a different sounding album. 
And I think a lot of REM fans prior to this weren't expecting this album. Yeah, and that that's absolutely true. It's got that big kind of arena rock sound, which was we, not something that they were known for. Which I think in my case helped, like, because prior to this, I wouldn't say I was a big REM fan at all. But this album, I, I just really liked. Automatic from People was all right. But I kind of went backwards on that. Like, it's liking Monster kind of triggered, hey, let me go revisit things and get into things again. See, I always went the other way. Like, I, I love Monster. Don't get me wrong. It's it's my second favorite of their albums. But Automatic for the People was was top for me. That was the one that really, of R.E.M. that really hit me. Prior to that, I wasn't a big fan other than, you know, a couple of singles. Yeah, I mean, and that's not to take anything away from Automatic for the People. I, I really like, I like Monster. And then the album after Monster, I really enjoyed as well. Partly because that kind of put me on a kick, I guess. Or I don't, just kind of following them a little more closely just because I enjoyed this album so much. Uh, it was just really good, top to bottom. What was the next album? Parallel? No, after it was uh, The West and How We Won. No, oh, no, no. New Ventures in Hi-Fi is what it's called. That was the, the one with Ebo, the letter on it, and Bittersweet Me. No? Yeah, Wait, no, I know what you're talking about. Oh, I just don't I don't remember the order. Oh, yeah. No, that was pretty pretty good, too. But anyway monster lots of great tracks all the singles were really good this one in particular i picked because it's played with kurt cobain's guitar that he gave them it's kind of about kurt cobain it's really different sounding most of the other songs are very loud this is very distorted but it's not quite as rocking as maybe some of the other songs but i like That's it true. very much I like the tone of it. I think if I remember correctly, they recorded it in a empty church. It has an organ on it, which I like a lot. And it's just a really good song. What I want to get is there was a anniversary edition that has some remixes and other versions of it, of the whole album. And so I'm very curious to see what they did with that song. But even as it was on the album, I think it's a really great song. I really hate that you're talking about the 25th anniversary edition when in my mind, Monster is sort of the new R.E.M. album. Oh, yeah. Is how I how yeah. I kind of think about it, which is really depressing. It's it's new, circa 94. It's, it's brand new. Yeah, I'm just not going to think about that at all. Right. Yeah, exactly. On that note, so I was having a conversation with someone. So like I said, I saw them. Uh, here's And this is pretty cool, too. I saw them on tour. You know who opened up for them? A little band called Radiohead. And <laughs> I, nice. I, I was in a, con a conversation with people from work, and I said to him, oh, the first time I saw Radiohead, they opened for R.E.M. The person, one of the people in the group said, uh, and I said, oh, it was in, in 94 when this album came, you know, came out. And he said, oh, I was three years old at the time. I didn't talk to him for a while. He deserved I, it. I wouldn't either. Yeah. I have I have a similar story because I saw Weezer for the first time when they were opening for live and happened to buy the blue album from them in the lobby. Nice. Yeah. And now those roles would be reversed. absolutely reversed. Right. 
That's interesting. I, I don't actually know which ones were the singles on that. I know what's the frequency Kenneth was, and that's probably my favorite song on it. But Crush with Eyeliner is probably my second favorite, and I don't that, remember yep. if that was a single or not. That was, yep. It was What's the Frequency Kenneth, Bang and Blame. Star uh, 69, was that a? Nope, that's automatic for the people. Star 69. No, no, no that's on Monster. Incor- uh, oh, no, that's right. No, was, I'm correct. Yeah, it was not a single, though. It was not a single. It was like that. Yeah, for me, it always went between What's the Frequency Kenneth and Crush with Eyeliner is my favorite songs on that. Good song, yeah. So Strange Currencies was another single, which that is probably would have been my pick if it wasn't a single. I really like that song. Uh, and Tongue was the fifth song, which isn't necessarily one of my most favorite songs. That was a single? Wow. Yeah, yeah. released on Halloween of all of all days but oh yeah of course because they're certainly a halloween band (laughs) i don't i've got nothing yeah oh no interesting that's really weird so i'm looking at if these dates are correct what's the frequency kenneth bang and blame was released on october 31st of 94 but then the last three singles came out the next year and like i said tongue is almost a year later but I guess that makes sense because what's the frequency, Kenneth? And there was such a big hit. And then I feel like that happened with with Ara, with Ten from Pearl Jam too, where they, there was about a year's part, difference. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I think be willing to bet that there was a pretty big gap between the yeah. first single and the last single released from that too. Well, this was helped or helped by the fact that there were five singles as well. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Totally worth it though. Great, great album. Great. Album. Yeah, I've I've always been a fan. I I do know some REM fans who don't care for that album at all, though, which I always thought was sort of interesting. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, what do you have? Is your next one as decisive? So my next one is Bad from U2. So Bad has always been one of my favorite of their tracks. It's the seventh track on their 1984 album, Unforgettable Fire. It's a song about heroin addiction, although... When you hear Bono talk about it, he gives a couple of different explanations for it, but it's usually around the same thing, a friend who died of an overdose. The song originated from just Edge noodling around on the guitar during a jam session at the Slain Castle when they were recording Unforgettable Fire. They completed the basic track in three takes, and it's got a good live quality to it, and there's some cool moments in it that give it kind of a heightened dramatic effect, and I always kind of like dramatic songs. It's the only non-single to appear on their famous Best Of album, the Best Of 1980 to 1990. What I think is most interesting about it is that it's kind of the song that made U2 what we think of as U2 today. Prior to that, they were, you know, they were fairly popular. They had Sunday Bloody Sunday and, you know, they were they were a reasonably well-known band, but they were still kind of an indie rock, not really punk, but post-punk band. And that's how people thought of them. And then they performed at Live Aid and they played a 12 minute version of Bad that was really the breakthrough moment for them. And Bad always, to me, sounds kind of like a proto song for the Joshua Tree, like it could be on the Joshua Tree. It's the one in my mind that kind of gave them that sound and everybody heard it because they played it at Live Aid and it was a 12 minute thing. And on top of that, it's also, if you if you ever, and I recommend watching it, but first of all, it's a cool version of the song. And he, he even does the thing he always does live now where he plays, you know, he sings other songs in it. Like during that version, he does 
Satellite of Love and Walk in the Wild Side from Lou Reed and Ruby Tuesday and Sympathy to the Devil. When I saw him play it, he did one of those as well, but I don't remember the other ones he did. But he always kind of folds other songs into it. But in this one, while he's singing it, he spots a woman getting crushed in the front row. And you see him, you watch the video, he starts flailing and trying to get the guard's attentions and he can't. So eventually he just jumps down, pulls her out of the crowd, dances with her for a while. And it's all captured on live TV while Edge and Larry and Adam are upstairs, you know, just playing the song. You know, he finally comes up and finishes it. And it went on for so long that they couldn't play all the songs they had intended to in their set. Like they, they didn't play pride in the name of love, which they had intended to, but it's, it's a powerful performance and having seen it live, it's, it's one of their better live songs. In fact, a lot of people like the live version better than the actual album track. For me, I've just been a huge fan of the album track since go. And it's, it's an emotional song puts me directly into my feels when I hear it. And I just, I always kind of think of it as the, the U2 song that made U2 U2. And I, I'm sure you know this one because it's from that U2 period that you don't like. So what's interesting about your comment is that I, it, prior to that moment, prior to your this talking about it, I would have said Pride in the Name of Love was on Joshua Tree just because of dialistically or, or how I would associate. No, it's on Unforgettable Fire. I know, right. That's what I mean. But prior to us talking, I, I would have made that association just based on how it, how it sounds. It's on Rattle and Hum, a live version. What came before is good. What came after is good. This is not the good period. This is not good. <laughs> this is bad. This is bad. We, we have a pretty long-standing argument, dear listeners, about uh, U2 and what the better U2 album is between Joshua Tree and Octung Baby. I'm on the o- Joshua Tree side, and Mario is definitively on the Octung Baby side. No, I won't even make that call. I'm just saying I don't hate the Joshua Tree. I'm just saying it, it's not all that. It's not all that. It has Whereas good- I would say it's their definitive album. It has good songs. Good songs are, are there, like With or Without You, like With or Without You, but they have better songs. Wh- whichever way you want to go, if you want to go before and go to like Sunday, Bloody Sunday and New Year's Day, that's fine. If you want to go forward, there's good songs in that direction too, where the streets have no name, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And even, you know, the pride in the name, those are not, those are not you two at their finest. We can, we can put those in whatever category you want to put dreams by cranberries. People like them, they get popular, but I don't think they are the best in the pantheon of everything you two has done. Whereas I think you couldn't be more wrong if, you were inventing the word wrong. If, if you had but your top, if your top, think about your top five U2 songs, top five songs out of those five, how many come from the Joshua tree? Three. I think that's way too generous, way too generous. I can't, even I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I can't even, maybe two, maybe two. It's at least two, probably three. I can't even believe that's true based on 
talking to you about other songs. Angel of Harlem, is that in your top five? Angel in Harlem, Bad, uh, would be two. In God's Country would be three. Running to a Standstill would probably be in there. I'd have to think about it, but In God's Country, where the streets have no name, Bad, and Angel of Harlem would be four. The fifth one I'd have to think about. Could be With or Without You. Could be something from Octung Baby. Could be Elevation. I like a lot of U2 songs. Could be Trip Through Your Wires. Speech- one Tree Hill. Speechless. Speechless. Yeah, I, I, there isn't a bad song on Joshua Tree in my mind. There are, there are skips on Octung Baby. Like I said, I, I don't recall making that comparison. And, but if I did, I will even... We have, we have had that argument. I will even say any other album. Well, no, 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 no. That's not accurate either. No, but most other albums, I'm going to say. But I'm also very surprised. So like Sunday Bloody Sunday doesn't make your top five list. Would it make your top 10 list? No. Unbelievable. I Look, I like the song. I My favorite, ver- I like the live under a blood red sky live version of it more than the actual album track. What about New Year's Day? Top, top nah. 10? Probably maybe top 20, but maybe not. I'm not a big New Year's Day fan. I like it. We need to continue. This This is making me depressed, and I may have to go vomit in a little bit. If you want to talk all, like old, like 40 is an older song would be on my list. Maybe not top 10, but certainly top 20. So there's a few. But I, I like that middle period YouTube best. Like Live Under a Blood Red Sky through Zuropa would be from me. But that includes Octune Baby. Yeah, I like Octung Baby. I don't like it as much as I like Joshua Tree and Rattle and Hum. Rattle so and you, Hum I, is a live album, right? It's not a yeah. It's the it's the soundtrack to the movie, so it's it's a it's not all live. Okay. But it's it's got live stuff on it. That's the first U2 album I own, so I always even though that's the most critically reviled, it's the one that has the the biggest place in my heart because it's the one that introduced me to the band. So I, I always have a, a higher opinion of that than most people. Two Hearts Beat is one. The Refugee, those are good songs. I don't know, Jake. Don't know. So anyway, what, maybe we'll do an episode on you two where we can really get into the, the nitty gritty of argument. But what have, what have you got for your, your next one? So what am I? What are we up to? Oh, four. No. Four, right? Is that where we yep. are? Yeah. You've got two more. I've got one more. So there's this band called The Hold Steady. The only album I have by them is the album Stay Positive. Uh, I got it because of one of the singles. And I didn't listen to it too much, but this definitely was one I revisited. And I'm glad it's I'm not it's not a gray album, but there's definitely some good songs on it. Stay Positive, Sequestered in Memphis. And the song I'm putting on my list is a song called One for the Cutters. I don't believe it was ever released as a single i don't remember it being released as a single so i'm including it basically the song is musically it's probably not like a lot of other things i listen to but it's a good song lyrically it tells this don't want to quite reveal it because it's an in the whole album has like a theme to it but this particular song talks about a small town townies and stuff and it talks about it's not listed as one of their singles 
Right. I didn't see it on, on Wikipedia, but I wasn't sure if, if it was, and they just hadn't caught up to it. Cause it also uh, kind of came out after the era of singles and albums and all that. So, well, what's interesting is, uh, sequestered in Memphis was released by the band on their MySpace page. So it's from that kind of error. Which is why I kept myself to previous eras where the concept of singles had meaning. Right. Well, it was a single, though, because it was promoted. They promoted it, and I think there was even a video for it and stuff. Um, to me, a single is more about the promotion and how you promote it than, you know, other things. Even if it wasn't a single that got released, it was a, a singular song <laughs> that was promoted, if that makes sense. This is a good example of why we can talk about music for hours and never agree on anything is that we just simply have a different idea of what everything is. I I think a single is something that gets released as a single. That's missing the point then. The whole point. We're talking about the point. We're talking about the, the, the actual details of what these songs are. This was released as a, as in a single version to radio stations and all that. Anyway. (laughs) So one for the cover. You thought we weren't going to argue. That was cute. It's a good song uh, lyrically, it, or not. It's interesting. I'm gonna say, basically, like I said, it's about a town. Uh, a, think of a know nothing, where nothing happens, kind of town, and then something bad happens, and the police go crazy, and the town is all in an uproar. That's basically what the lyrics of the song is about, and hmm. I, I just think it's interesting. Album isn't fantastic or anything. There are some good good songs on it. Uh, there's another song called Ask Her for the Adderall. Stay Positive is good. Uh, there's a few of them. So uh, one for the Cutters. They're also good live, I guess I'll say, but but that's a good song. I, you know, oddly, I've seen Craig Finn live, but I've never seen The Hold Steady. How did you he see played, him live? He played at the Joe Strummer tribute show I went to see in Asbury Park a couple of years ago. Did he do Hold Steady songs? No, no, no. He did Clash songs. Oh, Clash songs. Oh, oh, got it. Got it. In fact, in that concert I mentioned before earlier, the song for Joe, he played on that. He did Sandinista, which is a really good version of the song. It was kind of a slow down, stripped down acoustic kind of version. It was neat. Cool. Yeah, I I don't know this. I'm going to have to listen to this song after we were done with the show because I could never get into... The Hold Steady, I love his lyrics, and I love the cover versions of Hold Steady songs I've heard, but I never liked his voice that much. So it made it hard to dive in. This may be one, you know, I know you like the whole uh, concept or the whole album kind of thing. Definitely listen to it front to back. I'm not, like I said, this is my only experience with them, but I know from reading about it, some of them talk, some of the lyrics talk about characters from other albums. So that's kind of interesting as well. But uh, yeah, I definitely would like you to listen to it and see what you think about it. Uh, I'm curious what, what it, how it fits. I'm sure, I'm sure I'll like everything but the vocals. Perfect. Who that's everything I, I've liked. With, I've wanted to like the Hold Steady so bad. And I've just, it's, his voice has just never clicked with me. That's a shame. It is. It bothers me. Like, I feel like a lesser person because of that. But I've oh, always no. had some trouble there. You shouldn't. There's other reasons for you to feel like a lesser person. Don't don't let this be bad. <laughs> oh, why do I even let you on my podcast? I, All right. Give this to yourself. You're a masochist. You invited me. <laughs> All right. So 
close it out on a big one. What do you got? What's your number five? Uh, my number five here is actually one that I was shocked wasn't a single. Shocked, which is Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen. Oh, yeah. I found that. I Yeah, I, I agree. I don't remember how I found that out, but I knew that at some point. Interesting. Uh, I found that out because as I was researching for this episode, I had put together the list. This is actually what bumped Cemetery Gates off the list because I had thought I had that finished. And then I was curious. And I started looking at lists for, you know, top non-single tracks or top deep cuts. And this came up a couple of times and I'm like, that cannot be right. And it was right. So Thunder Road is the lead track of the 1975 Bruce Springsteen album, Born to Run. It's the album that really broke Bruce Springsteen. And Thunder Road is an incredibly famous song. And in terms of rock and roll, it's one of the most celebrated songs. It's in that category of like A Stairway to Heaven or Alive by Pearl Jam, where it's just it's ubiquitous and it shows up on all those lists. Like Roller Stone has it as number 86 on their 500 greatest songs of all time. Nick Hornby in his book 31 Songs writes about it. It's on all of those kind of lists. I, to me, it, I mean, it's a wonderful song. It, it started its life out as a song called Angelina and then morphed into Chrissy's song in some pre-sessions to Born to Run and eventually it became Thunder Road. I found some interesting stuff like during Springsteen's writing it, the original lyric at the end was skeleton frames of burn. The lyric now is skeleton frames of burned out Chevrolets, where he had originally written skeletons found by exhumed shallow graves. But Max Weinberg convinced him to not be so damn dark and stay consistent with the theme of the album, which is, I thought, kind of fun. Hell, there's a movie based on this song, which is Cemetery Junction, which I haven't seen, but I'm interested to go see it. You know, it's it's hard. Everybody probably knows this song if you're listening to this podcast. It's just it's one of those wonderful blue collar rock songs that's about everything that rock is always kind of supposed to be is about hope and life not being quite what it is, but trying to get out and trying to to do your thing. And it's it just builds the entire song. Like, so it's just, it's a constant upward motion. It's got wonderful lines. And I just love everything about it. I wasn't very into it. I had a kind of a Bruce Springsteen renaissance. I recently wrote about this on my blog when I got the essential Bruce Springsteen. Like I had, when I was a young kid, I had Born in the USA and it was a pretty big album for me. It was the first one that was like an album that I liked that my brother and dad didn't. So it was one of the first albums where I was starting to figure out who I was in musically. And, you know, eight or nine, I forget, seven, something like that when it came out. And I got that. And then I got live in 1975 to 1985 when that came out. And then I just kind of abandoned him. He was not a big deal in the eight, you know, in the eighties or late eighties and nineties, he was still a big deal, but I was into like punk and ska and alternative and grunge. And he was just sort of persona non grata. And then years later, I got a greatest hits album and said, now, wait a minute, all of these songs are great. And then I went back and started getting the albums and really getting into him. And this was one of the songs that obviously jumped out at me because it's, a, it's just an incredible song. I got into this in part because of the sequel to it. So right before I was, or as I was in the process of planning my wedding, is when The Promise came out, which was a collection of songs from the darkness on the edge of town sessions. And the song on that, The Promise, is a bleak sequel to Thunder Road. And then I went back and listened to Thunder Road and 
love that. And just kind of all of these things happen in sort of the same span of time. But interestingly, this was the one Bruce Springsteen song my wife let me play at our wedding. I had originally wanted Human Touch, and she doesn't like the lyrics to that. So we compromised and went with Thunder Road. So there was I had a limit on the songs I was allowed from some of these people because I'm insane and all of the people at my wedding were not. So it was good to have a limit on some of the things. No, I will say that is a gloss over. I think a lot of the people who were at your wedding are as insane as you were. Most notably, all of your best groomsmen. I would say they are as insane is probably not the right word. Uh, Let's say different. They are different kind of people. Is that generally an apt description? I would agree with that. I would also say the DJ at my wedding is a little bit different too. Well, well. For those listening at home, Mario was the DJ at my wedding, which really just involved playing this awful playlist I put together to everybody's chagrin. But he did it with aplomb, and and I certainly appreciated it. It's good times. Good times. So this is, I've also, I've seen him perform this. But not, I've never seen like a full Bruce Springsteen concert. He came out at a U2 show, so I saw him play a couple songs that way. And then I was at a Obama rally in Philadelphia in 2008 where he did a five-song set and then gave a little speech. And one of the songs he played was Thunder Road. And I went back while, we were, while I was prepping for this and watched that set again, and I was still blown away by kind of how cool it was. You know, even cover versions of this I like. There's a Frank Turner acoustic cover that I particularly like. So, yeah, I've got a lot of late life connection to this song that came out the year I was born that I didn't really start listening to until the year I got married, which seems very Bruce Springsteen to me. But yeah, so that's my fifth Bruce Springsteen, Thunder Road. Born to Run is still a great song, though. I mean, that's a really whole album is great. Thunder Road. I I just the piece I I referenced on my blog, I wrote about Backstreets, which is on that album. But Jungle Land is on that album. 10th Avenue Freeze Out was the other single besides Born to Run. That album is as good as its reputation. Not my favorite Bruce Springsteen album. That will always be Born in the USA. Yours too, if I recall. Yeah. Uh, so in a similar way, I don't know what triggered it, but now I want to look it up. But basically, he put out a greatest hits at some point, And I was like, oh, yeah, all of these are good. same kind of experience you had. It was like, oh, these these are good songs. Like, Prior to that, it was Born in the USA and basically the singles from that album. Wasn't My Hometown your favorite? I do enjoy that song. I think that's a, a good song. Absolutely. So what what was the compilation you have? The Essential Bruce Springsteen. That kind of an orange cover. Okay. So yeah, no, the one I'm thinking of came out in 95. It's just called Greatest Hits. Yeah, I know. I know that one. I didn't have that one. I mentioned I wrote about it on my blog. My blog is shoutingstreet.com. If you want to read the piece, it's the most recent one, or it'll be towards the top, depending on when I finish editing this album, this episode. Yeah, it must just have been because like it came out in that particular Greatest Hits came out in the 90s. Oh, from that Greatest Hits, I think there was a non-album track that was pretty good as well. Yeah, Bruce Bruce Springsteen is, is really great. Born in the USA is a, is a great album. He has a lot of great, like, you know, it's kind of like Tom Petty. He has so much out there, and a lot of it's really good, even if you just went by the singles alone. 
there's a lot of great stuff. And then if you start digging into deeper, deeper cuts, you're still going to find good, good songs and good versions. Yeah. And like all his greatest hits and those albums don't necessarily, they're not just singles because he's got a lot of deep cuts that are popular enough that they show up on those things like Thunder Road. Right. Or Jungle Land. Jungle Land wasn't a single. So that's that's my five. What do what have you got for your your finale? Yeah, I hope so, it's exciting. Well, it's complicated. The story goes like this: There's a band called uh, Block Party, who I really like, mm-hmm. and on their first album they have a song called Blue Light. Then they had a remix album of all the tracks from their first album, and I actually am picking Blue Light from that remixed album. I've seen Block Party a lot of times. I've Recently, I've seen them. So their first album is called Silent Alarm. And they recently did some kind of anniversary. So they did all of the songs from Silent Alarm. What was their big I, signal from that? It was like Helicopter or something? That's one. Helicopter was a single. Bouquet, I think, was the first one or the, I don't know, bigger one. Helicopter, I think, was popular because it was in an Xbox game. I don't know if it was like Tony Hawk or or some like random people. I've I've talked about the album and random people who don't really like music or or they're not huge would be like or would say, "Oh, I know Block Party. They have that song." And I'd be totally hmm. shocked. Yeah, and uh, I forget which video game it w- it was on some Xbox uh game that got popular. Um but yeah, this remix just takes it in a different direction. It's very quiet and very mellow. Uh, I really like it. Remixes are interesting to me. I don't necessarily like remixes per se. I just like the idea of taking this song, taking parts of it, and then making a new song kind of like it. It's kind of like in the realm of a cover almost, but I, I think of remixes as just different, similar in a similar kind of vein, I guess. Uh, this particular one, I, I like better or as good as the original definitely and it's hmm. it's going to be different like like we said at the onset this playlist for sure is going to be very interesting for someone if someone wants to listen to our playlist of this episode front to back or whatever kind of order this is probably a good closing track a good last track but yeah it's really different from everything else and I think it's a good way to close close it. I, I think it's, like we were saying on the onset, it's a good smattering of tracks that you picked, that I picked. This was really interesting. This was good. Apparently the video game was Midnight Club 3, Doesn't, and the song was Banquet. Banquet, yeah. Oh, no, that's a different song. That's interesting. So, Helic, no, maybe it wasn't Helic. It wasn't Banquet. There was another one. I don't know. At that job you, you mentioned that where we met, Someone there kept talking to me about it. And I like I said, I like Helicopter was in a lot of video games too. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. But it was in it, FIFA 06, which is would be a big one. Fairly amount. That's that's interesting. They they had a lot of songs in video games. Right. They're good songs. That that first album is so funny thing about that album, and I think it's happened to me with other albums, but that one in particular, I was listening to it with someone. They had just got it. We put it on repeat top to bottom. And that day we both came away saying, oh, this is all right. It's not as good as we hoped it. And and like, we really didn't like it. 
And I don't know what the time period was between there and re-listening to it, but I liked it a lot more after that day. And the other person did as well. So I don't know if we were just, we were listening to it in the car. So I don't know if we were just not focused on it and just paying attention to where we were going, but it was a really weird phenomenon of both of us not having a good interpretation or not liking it at that moment, but then later on liking it. I thought that hmm. was interesting. Yeah. That's not a, a completely unusual phenomenon, I guess, for, for music. There's a lot of albums I've listened to once, thought, eh, and then came back to and said, wait a minute. Right. This is life altering. Yeah. I never really got into Block Party. I, they came out around the same time as uh, Arctic Monkeys and Kaiser Chiefs and Franz Ferdinand and a lot of those bands. And I got into the, some of the other ones and that, that kind of European British invasion, but never quite got into Block Party. But I liked Helicopter. So, yeah, I'll have to give this one a listen. I don't remember Banquet. Yeah, I, w- I would recommend that album. Yeah, that album definitely. And the remixes. <laughs> so, that album they remixed and one of their later albums they did a, a remix album as well. Uh, their later albums are a little more hit and miss as, as far as I'm concerned. But this first one is good. Again, I, I'm not saying you're going to go out and listen to it on repeat for the rest of your life or anything. Uh, it's not quite life-altering, but it, it's good. It has good tracks, and it, it's it's a good song to have, have rocking, for sure. It's And I, I get what you're saying about remix albums being kind of hit and miss. Can, like there's a Bob Marley remix album I kind of liked, but that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. So yeah, so that's pretty good cross section of songs we've got there. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I approve. You know, we could probably keep going with this. There, I mean, I could easily find twenty just album tracks, especially if I started getting into stuff like. I'm surprised. I actually thought you were going to come with one from an outcome of the wolves, and have an album track off of that. I probably could have. That would have it. Would that's to tie things together. That's in some ways like the cranberries. I, I bought it for the singles, for the tracks that I knew, but was pleasantly surprised that there was a lot of other good songs on that album. Absolutely. I, I mentioned that album because that's one of the ones that we both agree on and like pretty much every song on, although we put them in different order. If I exactly. Recall. Right. That's, and that, that what you just said, that encapsulates everything. We're close it's almost like siblings. It's like you're close enough to have commonality, but it's not quite the same. So there's friction and, and yeah. Yeah. I yeah that makes sense. Like if you, if you look at our music taste, if we were siblings, it was like, I, I got dropped on my head once or twice as a kid and you got dribbled. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I guess it just kind of is kind of ironic in the end. Like we started this out with you saying that we wouldn't argue at all. And we ended up arguing about different things and, Yep. You know, but in the end, I was proven right. So it, it kind of works out, I guess. Uh huh. So, all I'm right. Well, tell your friends. Yeah. So that's another episode of The Mix is In. I guess this would be the point where I say, hey, The Mix is In, but I never really developed a catchphrase. So thank you for listening. Th- Mario, thank you for coming on. Oh, it was a pleasure. We got to do this again. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully this will, will lead to a few more episodes. I'd say more consistently, but the odds are pretty bad. But I think we'll have Mario back on and we'll kind of come up with some different topics that we can argue about. So I hope you enjoyed this. The playlist will be available on Spotify. We'll send out a link when we upload the podcast. And thank you all for listening. Have a great day. Have a great one.